0: Good morning. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready, Vacation Bible School friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Yay!
1: Our first scripture reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and a man of violence, but I received mercy, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying too sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I have received mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God
0: our second lesson, we are reading Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. This is the lost chapter. We have coins, we have sheep, and we have the prodigal son. We are dealing with the sheep and the coin today, prodigal son, they do later on. So here is our focus. So I challenge you to listen again with fresh ears, stories we think we know well. Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now all of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she called together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I know some of y'all are travelers. At one point or another, most of us have traveled on an airplane and have gone to fun places. How many people have lost luggage on an airplane? Okay, how many people have traveled and never lost luggage on an airplane? Oh, a couple, a couple, we need to get y'all out more. So I, it's, it's a question that I stumbled on this story, what happens to all that luggage that isn't claimed or reconnected with its owner? Well, I know you were asking this in your mind as well. I have an answer for you today. There is a place called the Unclaimed Luggage Center. It has the monopoly in the United States. It has arrangements with most of the airlines, that when they can't put people together with their luggage again, it goes here, and everything is resold. So 1970, Doyle Owens, in a borrowed pickup truck, with a loan of $300 and an idea, went to DC and started collecting luggage that then from that he would start to sell all of the stuff, its contents, for a profit. Almost 50 years later, 49 years, his two sons have taken over the business, one bought out the other, and it still continues in Scottsboro, Alabama. Anybody? Anybody been? Oh, oh my gosh, a couple of you. So Athens is here, east of Athens, I'll go this way, is Huntsville, Alabama. East of Huntsville is Scottsboro. It is now this warehouse the size of a full city block. There are thousands of items every year that are unclaimed that has grown this particular business. And again, one in the United States that does what they do. I don't know how that's the case, but it seems to be. Laptops, cell phones, Jewelry, clothes, all the things that you and we pack in our luggage for sale. They dry clean the clothes. They have the jewelry cleaned and appraised. They wipe all the personal information off of your phones and the found laptops to to resell again. They have an amazing ministry. They have given away literally millions in medications to developing nations they donate to several local agencies, Clothes, they sell half and they give away roughly half of all that they acquire. It is an amazing ministry. And the mission statement, I went and checked out the website just to make sure this was a story rooted in fact, which it is, said the mission of the unclaimed baggage center is to reclaim for good what was once unclaimed. To reclaim for good what was once unclaimed. That's not a bad mission statement. And when we think about our passages today, when we're talking about sheep and coins, and again, as I mentioned, this is the lost and found chapter. Three stories comprise all of Luke 15, sheep, coins, and the prodigal. So we're dealing with the first two today. Let's see what's unclaimed and let's see what is reclaimed for good or, in our case, for God. So first of all, Jesus is gathered with the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus' arch enemies on this earth in his time. We know the Pharisees were, in essence, Jewish lay people that got together to study and enforce the law, the law given in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, to be the enforcers of that law, what is clean, what is unclean, what is appropriate, what is not according to what they understood the law to be. And they were right. God gave them those laws in the beginning to set up the relationship. I will be your God, you will be my people, and you will do these things, and you will not do those things. So we can't criticize them for standing on the laws that God gave them. But now, as we know, Jesus has come to offer something very different. The Pharisees were the religious insiders of the day. And in many ways, I think we could place ourselves closer to them than other folks or characters in the story. I know I can. Why? Well, I slash we are religious insiders. Imagine some itinerant preacher, not even a part of a church, comes in and says, hmm, you're doing it all wrong. You need to listen to me. I will tell you how to do it right. All those things that God told you earlier to do, well, we're kind of changing some of those in radical ways. We're bringing the unclean to the table. We're bringing the formerly unwelcome are now welcome and we're going to radically change what you know to be the system of faith in this world. How do you think we would take to that? I don't think very well and neither did the Pharisees because it threatened everything that they were. It was challenging their rule, their grasp on faith. The issue with the Pharisees is that they became too law-centered and forgot the reason the law was given in the first place, which was to develop the relationship between God and humankind. And they went from that relationship and started to lean too hard on just the rules and regulations, so that relationship with God got squeezed out for their own power and exploitation of their people, which is where Jesus comes into conflict. So Jesus is with them and gathered, too, were the tax collectors and the sinners. We hear a lot about them. What's so wrong with tax collectors? are not there good people that work in the IRS? Or are they all to be stoned to death? No, of course not. The problem with tax collectors in that day is that they exploited their people and they worked for Rome and were puppets of Rome. They did not fully participate in the covenant community life of their Jewish family And again, they overcharged and exploited people. So, of course, they were hated and despised. Tax collectors and sinners. What constituted the sinners? Don't know. But they were branded. They were clear. They were sinners. So, Jesus is eating with them, which again is an intimate act. They weren't driving through the drive-through at fast food. When they ate Jesus sat and literally broke bread, and they spoke, and they spent time with each other. They reclined and took their time through their meals. And so it wasn't even just a quick nod, we'll sit down, choke something down, nice to meet you, and move on. There was time and people here, an interesting gathered group. You have the Pharisees, you have the disciples, and you have the tax collectors and the sinners, all looking at each other thinking, why are they here? Why are they here? Why am I here? Who is that? And Jesus hears the Pharisees kind of whispering to each other, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Whisper, whisper, grumble, grumble. And so Jesus, as the great teacher and storyteller that he is, lays it on him. Gives him chapter 15 of Luke. All three stories, we're looking at the first two. Which of you, Jesus says, when you had 99, 100 sheep and you lost one, would leave the 99 and go after the one? How important is that one to you, Jesus is asking? And for a shepherd, all the sheep are important, as is the one coin lost from the 10. Why? Well, there's an economic piece to this. For shepherds, whether they develop intimate relationships with their sheep, which I think we know that they do, there was an economic piece to this. One less sheep meant less pay for the shepherd that didn't make very much anyway. And when you put on top of that the strength of the herd and trying to welcome, find that sheep to come back, the shepherd decides to go finds that sheep. Sheep is, you see that picture often of Jesus as the shepherd with the sheep on its shoulders. I read this time, we, we all ought to be uh, uh, honorary shepherds for all that we know about sheep and shepherds. But a new thing I learned this week was that shepherd, or sheep, when they're separated from their group and they become afraid, they won't bleat. They won't call out for help because they're afraid other predators will hear them and come take them out. So they find a place and they hide and they wait. It's the same thing with a coin. A coin cannot save itself. The sheep cannot save itself. It chooses not to. And in both cases, the shepherd and the woman 100% initiate the rescue and find the lost item. And often the sheep is so exhausted that they can't walk anymore, and so they have to carry and put on their shoulders to get them back to the flock. So let's take the sheep first. What would be our sheep that is so important that we would leave some of our life behind to go and find and claim one that had gone astray? What's that? A child, right, right. The first and clearest, absolutely right. What's important in this life, our relationships, our families. When when we put our children on the line as those sheep and one goes astray, of course we go. Of course we go. Y'all remember The Shack, the book? This bubbled up again. 2008 was its release. William Young, Y O U N G. The story of a dad, his name was Mac, had a troubled childhood and his father, that relationship difficult, but Mac was a great dad. Mac takes his three kids camping, something many of us have done and enjoy. So they're at the campsite, two of his kids are in the canoe in the lake and the youngest Missy is at the picnic table at the campsite, dad is with her. Other kids out having fun. The canoe capsizes, which would be fine. They can swim, except it looks as if the kids are getting their feet caught in the structure of the canoe. they there perhaps stuck in it somehow, and they're not surfacing. Does the dad sit and stay and watch and hope for the best? No. He runs with all force, power, love, and terror, out to that, rights the canoe, saves both of the children, brings them to shore. Dad had done dad's job. He was the hero. He went after the two lost whose lives were in peril and saved them both. But now he turns around and his little girl that was left at the table when he ran out to the, to the lake was gone, gone, gone. Every parent's worst nightmare, every parent's worst fear. We've all been in those places where we turn even for a moment to do meaningful and valuable things or not. And then we turn back and pray, oh gosh, yeah, they're okay, they're okay. Sometimes we lose them for a bit, but hopefully we find them. In this case, in the beginning of, or in the first half really, the first half of the book is dedicated to the tragedy, which I had to put down several times. I believe the girl, little girl was six, and at that time, my daughter was six. So I, c- I couldn't take the reality of it. I couldn't, even though it's fiction. So the girl disappears. Pretty sure she is dead, murdered. So Matt gets a letter, a strange letter, in his mailbox. That seems to be from God. No, he doesn't believe it. His wife calls God Papa, and that's who signed the letter. But the man is distraught. His life crumbles. He is in a depressive state that he cannot find his way out of because of his little girl. So this letter tells him to go to the same shack where the daughter was most likely killed in what sounded like a horrible and ridiculous idea at first. After finding no way to be able to move forward, Mac finally goes to the shack in snowy conditions in a shack where his daughter died. That's the first awful premise, the first part. And then the second, then it opens up, and all of a sudden, Mac is transported to this place of light and joy where Mac meets the Trinity, God as an African-American woman, Jesus as a, a male carpenter, and then the Holy Spirit as an Asian woman, and has conversations with each of these three pieces about the whys and the what's and the the meaning of it all. And while some of the theology I wouldn't stand on, a lot of it is fascinating and great for conversation. It's all about being lost and found for him. He lost his daughter and was seeking her at all costs, but somehow was able to find Himself again through this connection with God, even in the worst and most horrible moment of his life. Who of us would not go after the one lost? When I was in youth ministry, I lost one for a while. It was terrifying. We were on a mission trip, mission trip to Russia. We were, we had. We went to Smolensk, Russia, which is outside of Moscow on the Belarus border. And when we were done with our work, we had gone to St. Petersburg to see some of the amazing things about Russia. And were in the Hermitage, the, the, the well-known, world-renowned museum. The Rembrandt was there, the prodigal son. We saw it live and in person. Lots of amazing stuff. But we turned and one was gone. The place was huge. Now what do we do? Can I call the police? I don't in the Russians so good. They don't in the English so good. Can we go and make an announcement? I, I don't know where to go or who to find, but we'll, we'll try all those things. It was two hours but I left the group, and we had other adults. They weren't by themselves. But I left to go and find her, and I did. Still emotional. <laughs> it was 15 years ago. And finally, we found each other, and she just kind of broke down in my arms as I did hers. She had found her way home, and we were Okay. What is it that we love so much that God would, that you would welcome and go after no matter what? Those things are important and to realize. The coin in the same vein, this woman wasn't worshiping money. She didn't sit up every night like Smeagol or Gollum from Lord of the Rings with her precious coin. Precious, my precious. This was most likely someone taking care of their family. And if that coin was gone, it meant people weren't being fed or clothed or housed or there would be negative impact on her family. And in each case, in each case, they find it and they do what? They rejoice. They're called to bring other friends and community together. Come, join me. I have lost something and now I have found it. Let's rejoice together. Joy or avert joy or rejoice are mentioned five times on these 10 verses. Five times that Jesus says directly: rejoice, rejoice, joy, joy, rejoice. So the first thing I want you to know is that in this lost and found, yes, it says what you think it says but I want you to know that we are a found people. We are a found people from the moment that God created you, from the moment you came into existence, into this world, you have not been lost, not for one second because it is God, the creator who made you, who made me. We may feel like we are lost at times. Absolutely. There may be those who have never fully embraced God and Christ in the Spirit and may not feel that connected, so all they know is what they know. And it's not the feeling of being one with Christ. But through God's eyes, we are always found because we are never alone. And you mean that much to God that you are never, ever lost. You may be physically lost. You may be experiencing some horrible break or darkness in your life, a tragedy, a loss, grieving loss. That is real and that is strong. But the joy that Christ reminds us isn't necessarily happy, happy. It's the joy that even in those moments where we perceive that we are lost, we are not, that Christ is with us and that we are a found people. And God is seeking to bring us back every second of every day. So one, know that you are special and beautiful in God's eyes and you are found no matter what you think or believe. You just need to accept the grace that you are being offered. And second, an interesting piece of this, I'm not sure the lost and found are necessarily all for those who don't believe. Who's God talking to? Who is Christ telling the story to? The Pharisees and the scribes. They're the insiders. They're the ones who go to temple. They're the ones more like us. They know how to be faithful and they're doing it. They're living it. And Christ is reminding them that just because they are insiders, just because they go to temple, just because they say they are faithful, it doesn't mean that they don't need to repent and come home. As a matter of fact, Jesus is lifting out pretty clearly reasons why they need to. And we need to pay attention to that as well. What does lost look like, Debbie asked. Well, she said they all look like her exactly, but I think it looks like us. Looks like us. I had someone call the church this weekend, ask for a few nights at a hotel, which we do every once in a while when we can. So I went to a hotel I hadn't been to in town and it maybe has been the worst, maybe was the worst of those that I have been to. And I don't do grungy hotels well, I'm just telling you. I'm not a germaphobe, but I don't do grungy hotels. And this was King Grunge. You could tell just driving up, I didn't even go into the rooms. Place is falling down, all kinds of people out on the sidewalk. And every single one of them was kind and welcoming to me, a stranger. I went and talked into the office, got to know the lady who was working there. She just had two prematurely born twins that are in the NICU in Atlanta. Showed me pictures. Beautiful little babies all wired up and connected. They were born premature. So far, they were doing okay. When I got to the guy who had called me, he and his wife, he hugged me hard twice. That was a stinky and hard hug twice. You know how you hug somebody who's got some cologne or perfume on and you smell the joy of that for the rest of the day. Yeah, 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 here. And so I'm watching people go by, and again, they're all being very kind. And last week, if you remember, we talked about the banquet and who was invited to the banquet. And here, Jesus seems to be saying, who's important enough to go for? Who's in and who's out? And I thought, these are the people that we need to invite to our table. Those that we think might be on the lines of sinners and tax collectors. Those who have made poor decisions and aren't in stable places in life. And yet, they're God's children. God made them and offers them the same grace that God offers us. So I thought maybe we need to go have a feast and a meal out there with them. Stay tuned. It's not my job to decide who's in and out. We spent the whole summer in the book of Acts where God was changing who is in. And pretty much threw that question out and said, all are welcome in my kingdom. Those who were formerly unclean are now the target of sending out faithful disciples and Christians to bring them home. So the second piece of this is that we too need to not only know that we are a found people, but go to those who think they might be lost. We know they're not, it's what we've just been talking about. But at times we all feel lost, I know that. And the church family and Christians are a gift to one another to remind us that we are not alone, and the joy of Christ is what God's plan is for us. Christ doesn't just emphasize joy. Christ expects joy and rejoicing. And our table is incomplete unless we are bringing others who are struggling and think they are lost. We need to be able to rejoice as a church family. We need to be able to rejoice as Christians. And the way that we do that is to go out and to seek those again who think they are lost and let them know what we know. We are not perfect, but we are loved by God just as they are, no matter what they believe. It's a part of our challenge to bring them home. So today realize that you are not unclaimed luggage. You have been claimed since you were created. You have been found since you were created in this world. And two, share the joy that Christ intends for all of us by seeking the lost and giving them hope and telling them that they are special, called, and loved. Let's go and let's go together, for our celebration awaits. Hallelujah. Amen.